All right, so quickly, last week, um, we started out where Paul is encouraging us that God's heart for us is, number one, that we not be ignorant of the gifts. And so that word ignorant means literally just to not know about them. It also means to potentially not understand them. So we might know the list, but we don't really understand how God purposed us to experience his gifts. Um, it also can mean ignoring. He's warning us not to ignore the gifts. God has good gifts to give us. And I was thinking about this this week. I remember being a kid and at birthday or Christmas, um, it was just a bummer when you'd open a gift and it was like clothes. Any, anybody in here young enough to remember how bummed you were when it wasn't a toy, when it was just like something practical, like new gloves? It was just lame, right? Um, you know, Toy Story, the original Toy Story captured that perfectly when all the toys are gathering around and they're spying on the birthday party downstairs. They're worried about being replaced with a cool new toy. And so the army men report in at one point and they say, it's bed sheets, repeat, bed sheets. And I think it's the, I think it's the, the piggy bank that says, bed sheets, who invited that kid? It's just the totally lame, you know. Hey, as silly as that analogy is, I actually think some of us view the gifts of the Holy Spirit as like the lame clothing gift instead of the cool new toy. It's the bike. It's the bicycle that you've always dreamed of, and it's not meant to just sit in the garage and collect dust. God wants us to get on it and to enjoy it. That's the thing. Don't let abuses that you've seen, don't let uncertainty even rip you off from enjoying the gift that he gives. He's a good father who loves us, and these gifts are from him. And my hope is that we will all position ourselves to open up what he has for us and not go, eh, gloves. But we'd open up and go, man, look at this cool gift you've given me. And we can jump in and enjoy it. So that's what I'm hoping for for all of us. All right, so last week we covered uh, prophecy. With, kind of within that, we talked about what words of wisdom is or are, what words of knowledge are, and even the role of a prophet. We talked about serving. We talked about helps, which is similar to like nursing almost. It's helping poor and, and folks who are ill, that are in need. Um, we talked about teaching, the gift of teaching. Y'all can be praying for me that I would operate in that gift this morning, that this would make sense to all of us. Um, we talked about the gift of exhortation and even the specific role of a teacher. Um, if you missed last Sunday, you can go back and listen to the podcast. I kind of laid out a framework of how we're going to approach these over the next handful of weeks. The other thing I would strongly encourage you with, both last Sunday and, and today and a couple more of these, for time's sake, there's a lot of scriptures I'm just going to reference as examples that you could check out. Unless you're just a lightning-fast note-taker or you've got an incredible memory, what you can do each week when we post the audio we also post my sermon notes online. And so these would be good weeks where you could just download that PDF and you can go look at all those verses on your own. Don't take my word for it. Dig into it, read it on your own, see how God is working in scripture, and then we can understand the life he's inviting us into. All right? Does that make sense? Is that a good foundation? So we're gonna go for about 25 minutes and we're just gonna see how far we get this morning continuing to work our way through the gifts. All right, so... Um, the primary passages on the gifts 
are found in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We read that last week. Um, They're also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And then again, down in verse 28, does another little recap of some of them. And then finally, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul talks more about specific roles and how God gifts us to fulfill certain roles within the church so that all the needs are met of the body, okay? So that's, those are the passages we're working our way through. There are some places where the same gift is mentioned in a couple of different verses, and so in my notes, I reference that. Hey, that's in Romans, and it's in 1 Corinthians, so you can see that, all right? So for time's sake, there's the references. Go back and read them. We're going to jump in where we left off. So in Romans chapter 12, we finished by talking about... Um, exhortation. And so now we're going to jump in at contributing with generosity or giving, the gift of giving this morning, all right? So this word giving, it means kind of what it sounds like it means. It means to give or to share. It also means to impart or communicate. So it's more than just a financial thing. It's, it's a mentality of giving where there is need, whatever is needed. It could be encouragement, it could be advice, it could be financial needs, it could be practical. Um, The heart behind uh, the gift of giving is not just the act of doing it. It's not just, hey, okay, you need this, gosh, here you go. The, The heart behind this gift of giving is that it comes generously, it comes cheerfully. That's all wrapped up in this word. There's an idea of giving liberally, like above and beyond what's needed. Um, it, it gives the idea of giving sincerely, right? So not begrudgingly, I'm willingly giving. So generously, liberally, sincerely, bountifully. This is a big one with no ulterior motive, um, one of the things we talked about a lot early on as a, as a church, kind of amongst our elders, is that we even wanted to designate our giving as a church in a couple different categories. So there are times where we give money to the school to bless them, but we also benefit from giving money to the school. We're sitting here benefiting from it. So we categorize that completely differently in our budgeting. We don't consider that truly giving. Now, our missionaries that we support, it's like, man, I don't want anything from them. I don't need anything from them. We believe in what they're doing. We just love them, and we want to generously support them. And so so we separate that. And I I just think, as a church, we try to do that. But I would encourage us all, individually, consider our heart in giving, right? Am I, do I give where I know there's something else I'm going to receive on the other end of that? Or is it just out of genuine sincerity to bless someone and meet a need? That is it. That is not something that comes naturally to us. That's why it's lifted, listed as a gift. I need the Holy Spirit to come and, and grow me to be a generous, cheerful giver who gives sincerely. So some, some examples of this in Scripture. We see a practical gift given. We see a cloak given in Luke 3.11. Um, we see financial gifts given, for example, in Ephesians 4.28. Um, spiritual gifts are given. Paul talks about this in Romans 1.11. Spiritual gifts are given generously. Um, and then ultimately, we give our hearts in genuine love relationship. 
That's what Paul's talking about when he writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. And so we give relationally, we give practically, we give financially. Those are ways that we give generously. All right, that's giving. Okay, number two this morning, leadership. Now, there are two that are closely linked this morning. So we're going to talk about them individually, and then we'll view them side by side in a moment. So that's leadership and administration. So first of all, the gift of leadership is talked about in Romans 12, 8. It means to set over or to be over, to superintend, to preside or rule over. It means to give attention to. The idea behind this is that we're called to lead with care, with diligence, and with effort. Leading is work, okay? That's the picture of leading. It's, it's you're, you're over something. Um, in our kind of just modern American way of thinking, this would be like the CEO role, somebody that just kind of presides over an organization, leads the direction, communicates the vision, kind of oversees all the big picture things that are happening. That would be kind of a practical way we could maybe envision this idea of leadership. Now, the scripture unpacks this in a lot of ways, and it's essential that we get all of these working together. Many of us would love to lead something, but one of the first things we're called to lead well is our own life. So in, in Titus, Paul writes in Titus 3, verse 8 and verse 14, and really that whole passage in around there, he talks about the importance of leaders ruling their own life well. It starts there. Then it trickles down. Paul's talking to Timothy now, as, as Timothy is this young leader in the church and going to be helping to lead and shepherd other people. Paul says, Timothy, this starts with you and your family. So you learn to rule yourself well, and you, you learn to rule your household well. And then moving forward, there's leadership in the church. And so there's even positions that are given. Talk, the scripture talks about elders and deacons. And so there are things spiritually that God invites us to lead. Also, we see pictures throughout the scripture of people who are not leading in a traditional spiritual sense. They've just been put in a position of authority. It could be military, it could be business, um, a wide variety of things. I mean, we even have kings that ruled. And there are kings who led out of a gift of leadership that God gave them direction. There were others that completely ignored the presence of God and they and the people they were over reaped the negative benefits of that. They, they reaped the repercussions of that. And so leadership is a gift. Um, one of the reasons I talk about this is we all lead something. We all lead something. How do we lead our life, our family, the areas of responsibility that we've been given? And, and then God invites us to grow in that. Um, another thing that I think is really important is in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, we are also called to know our spiritual leaders. We're called to know them and then to respect them. Now, notice he puts those two together. He doesn't just say, respect our leaders blindly and not know them. He says, lean in, know who your leaders are, and then value them, support them, respect them. The idea there is, as I know those that have been placed in authority in my life, I develop a real relationship with them. It's not blindly following somebody who's a terrible leader and driving us off the side of the cliff, right? 
And so we're meant to know, love, and encourage our leaders. And as leaders, we're meant to know and care about the people that we're over. The, the biblical model here is servant leadership. Jesus lived it. He taught it. And to make it really clear, he differentiated between himself and his followers and the way the world leads. Often the way the world leads is the people under me are here to support me and make me look good and do all the things I say and I just kind of sit back on easy street. That's not it. Leadership recognizes, knows, cares about those that have been entrusted into their care and the heart behind it is serving those under them. That's the biblical model. Okay, now, moving on to the gift of administration. This is a slightly different Greek word that's behind this word administration. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. The idea behind this word is to steer, govern, or guide. In fact, the root meaning of the word is like a captain or a pilot. It's like the person steering the ship the captain of the ship. Um, in fact, this word is used for the title of the captain of the ship that Paul was on that shipwrecked. It was this same word. And so it's this idea of captain. Now, so how is this different than leadership? If you're captaining a ship, you're running it. Okay, the idea here is a little bit more administrative. So I want you to picture the difference between leadership and management. The timing of this is funny because Alex and I have been watching some some videos to just sharpen ourselves a little bit. But leadership and management. Management gets down into the details. Leadership says, big picture, here's everybody that we've got. We need to watch out for their needs and we're heading in this direction. Management says, cool, that's a great idea. Here's how we get there. And so let's, let's execute these plans in order to get us from, from A to B. A really cool picture of this, I was reading a book over the summer called Endurance. Anybody ever heard of the book Endurance? It's about this captain named uh, Shackleton. And, or sorry, he's not a captain. He's the guy leading this expedition. And he took a bunch of men and a boat, and they were going to sail to Antarctica, and then they were going to trek completely across Antarctica. He was the leader of that plan. He had a captain of the ship that was getting them there. And the two of them worked closely together. Shackleton set the direction, the vision, but he left the captain alone and let him navigate that ship and get it where it needed to go. It's a really cool book, just even from the standpoint of seeing how these play out. The story goes, they end up getting shipwrecked and stuck out there in the ice, and they have to march their way back to civilization. They didn't lose a single person. In, in all of the time they were out there on their own. It's an incredible book. I'd encourage you to read it. Really cool picture of how administration, management, and leadership work together. That makes sense to you guys? Did, did you realize that something as practical as management and leadership was a gift that God gives? Man, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in charge of something, there have been a lot of times in my life where I've gone, God, I, I don't have what it takes for this right here. I need your help. I need your guidance. The only thing scarier than realizing I don't have what it takes right here is the moments when I thought I did have what it took. And I've thought, I got this figured out. I've had enough experience. I've had enough. And I lean on my experience instead of listening to his voice. Some of the biggest errors I've made have been when I leaned just on my experience and assumed, well, that worked there, there, and there, so I'm just going to apply it here. 
instead of inviting God to come and speak into that moment, which is a fresh, unique moment with a new group of people and new group of circumstances. And so as, as we grow in these gifts, let's never forget the presence of the giver who wants to guide us in this moment. Does that make sense? All right, giving, leadership, administration. All right, mercy, the gift of mercy, which, man, I'm glad it follows kind of right behind leadership and administration because you need mercy at times. So this shows up in Romans 12, 8. The idea here is to show mercy or compassion. It's to help someone that's afflicted and seeking aid. The general meaning of this word mercy is to have compassion or mercy on a person in unhappy circumstances. When you recognize that someone is in need, man, you are moved with compassion. Now, this is not an emotion. Emotions might be involved, but this is not in and of itself a feeling or an emotion. It goes beyond that. The idea of this word is to be moved by that desire to act in order to help someone. There is action behind this idea of mercy. So I have sympathy, I have pity, but mostly I have an active desire to remove those miseries. What could I do to help? And so mercy sees the need, cares about the need, and then doesn't go, I'll be praying for you, brother, and moves on. And oh, by the way, probably forgot to pray even. All right? It says, I'm gonna lean in and help. That's the idea of having the gift of mercy. One of the cool things about this particular gift, and they all do, but this particular gift, it most often shows up describing what God does for us. It's, it's a description of him and his heart towards us. He is full of mercy towards us, and his mercy moves him to interact on our behalf. He did that ultimately with Jesus, the picture of Jesus on the cross. It's the ultimate example of that. But he does this in practical ways in our lives. He's moved with compassion when he sees our condition and he meets us there. And so he is a merciful God. Um, this word mercy shows up in a lot of places. Um, it shows up a lot when people who were sick or demon-possessed were crying out to Jesus for help. And the word they would cry out is this word, have mercy on me. Did Jesus go, I'll be praying for you, brother, and, and keep walking on? He acted. When people cried out for mercy, he responded with action to make a difference, to, to bring relief, to bring aid, to bring comfort. And so he healed. All right, this word is also used to describe God's mercy towards sinners and his actions towards people who are undeserving. That's the idea of mercy. All right, number five, faith, faith. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. The idea of faith here is a couple of things working together. I want you to picture this in three ways, okay? So first of all, it's reliance upon Christ for salvation. It's putting my faith in him, all right? The other idea behind it then is consistency in that faith. I hold on. So I've made the decision to entrust my life to him, and then, man, through all the ups and downs of life, through all the stormy seas, I hold on in faith. I endure, all right? That's faith. And then finally, 
the way this, this really grows and takes root in us is as I place my faith in him and then I learn to hold on to him and endure in faith through my life, something starts to change in me and I become faithful. I become the kind of person that someone else can rely upon. I can be counted on. I become like my savior. I become someone who's faithful and steady. Now this, this doesn't mean perfect. We're gonna blow it. But we grow and mature. We become someone who can be counted upon. And so those are all the aspects that are wrapped up in this word faith. Um, I love some of the ways that we see this word show up in scripture. There's a really cool story that, that Matthew tells and Luke tells. You can find it in Luke 7, 9. There's a Roman centurion. All right, so this is someone who's a leader. He's a captain of men. And he's, he's coming to Jesus on behalf of a servant of his that's sick almost unto death. And so he's, he begins communicating with Jesus. And in this conversation, he sent this guy to Jesus. In his conversation, he's like, no, Jesus, I'm not asking you to come to the house and lay hands on the servant. You just say the word and I know he'll be healed because I know what it's like to be in charge and people do what I ask him to do. And I know that you're really in charge. And so if you say he's healed, he will be. And Jesus looked at that and said, that's faith. In fact, he said, I've seen no greater faith in Israel, the folks who knew God, the God of the Old Testament, than he saw in that Roman soldier. All right, so Jesus pointed to that as faith. He also pointed out that um, there's, there's a woman in the scripture in Matthew 9, 22, that had the issue of blood where, where she was having this ongoing problem for 12 years. And when she heard Jesus was coming through town, she presses through the crowd just to get her hand on him. And when she gets healed, Jesus turns around and figures out what happened. He says to her, it's your faith that healed you. That, that's that faith that holds on. 12 years and she was still believing that God could heal her through all the ups and downs of that long, hard road that she had walked. That's faith. And then finally, I love this. I hope this would be of some encouragement to all of us. In Romans 1.17, the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. And in fact, Paul talks about this idea even more, and he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we can look at this one on the screen, bud. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved... Through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, you know what I already know about you? You've got the gift of faith. He already gave you the gift of faith just to be able to entrust him for your salvation. Now, he would love to fan into flame that gift more and more. So we could hold on to him during hard circumstances. We could become faithful people. And we could even do what these friends do in Mark 2, 5, who saw their friend who was crippled and heard Jesus was in town and carried their friend up onto the roof of a house, ripped the roof off of the house and lowered their friend down in front of Jesus because they couldn't get to him any other way. And Jesus didn't say that he healed the guy because of the faith of the man on the mat. The scripture says that Jesus healed the guy on the mat because of the faith that his friends had to bring him there. This is the gift of faith that God wants to have flowing in our lives. 
Yes, it's for us for salvation. Yes, it's for us to endure hard seasons. Yes, it's for us to be faithful people. Ultimately, God wants us to be able to believe with other people who they've lost the ability to believe. So we can believe on their behalf and help carry them through to Jesus who does the stuff. I just, I have to say this here. Faith is not about having belief in our own ability to have a lot of faith. The point of faith is the object that you place it in. All right? I could decide I'm going to hang off the side of a cliff holding on to a tiny little string, and I could have an immense amount of faith that that string's going to hold me. And if it's not rated to hold my weight, I'm going down. <laughs> I could also be terrified to be hanging off the side of a cliff, but have a huge thick rope that could handle, you know, three times the weight. I might be scared, but if I'm just willing to give it a shot and hang on even in fear, the point of my faith is that rope has got it. It can handle the job. So the little bit of faith I can muster to hold on, even with some fear and trepidation, I'm going to be all right because I'm putting my faith in this rope and it can do the job. That's the idea. Our faith is in him. He's got it. Our faith isn't in, do I have enough? Am I strong enough? Do I believe enough? And I know that because people would walk up to Jesus and say things like, I have faith, but help my unbelief. <laughs> I barely have any. I hardly have any. Will you even help give me faith? And he says, yeah. I love giving the gift of faith. All right, so that's the gift of faith. Now, I love this because we've just kind of been moving in sequence of how these are listed, but the next one on the list is healing. How many of you know I, I need the gift of faith in order to then believe God can heal me and do miraculous things? And so there's, there's a gift of healing. Okay, so this word is found in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 28. This is the last one we'll do this morning. Y'all good? Can you hang with me through this one? Awesome. Kids, y'all are doing great. Y'all are doing really good. Okay, so healing. Now, this shows up as a noun describing the gifts of healing right here in this passage. The other places this word shows up throughout the scripture, it's the same Greek word, but it shows up as a verb where healing is happening. It's in action. We see it throughout scripture. I just say that if you go to back, back to look at the notes, you'll see two slightly different Greek words. It's the noun and the verb of the same word, healing. Okay, so the idea of this word means a cure. It means healing. It also means the means of healing. So the, the action that leads to healing, the process, if you will. It can mean medicine. It can mean the result. I have been healed. It's the, it's the end result of me being healed. Um, I love this. It's also used metaphorically to talk about the healing of our sin, of our, of our moral disease, of our need for, for rescue and healing. Um, ultimately, the word really means to make whole. To make whole. One of the things I've loved when I'm, when I'm thinking about praying to God and I'm, I'm asking him to heal something, what I'm really asking him to do is just put something back the way he intended it to be originally. God, you designed this body as an example to function a certain way. Will you bring wholeness? Will this kidney operate the way it's supposed to operate? Will this heart pump the way it's supposed to pump? Will this arm move the way it's supposed to move? God, will you bring wholeness? 
And the truth is that's the healing he brings even in our sin and fallenness. In our brokenness, we're just a, a portion of what he intended for us to be. He intended for us to be whole and complete in him, in right relationship with him. And so he heals our brokenness and our sin so we can experience the wholeness of who he intended us to be. So there's some great, great examples of this. One of the things I love, there's a lot of pictures of this in Luke's gospel where Jesus healed people. And what I love about that is Luke was a doctor. And I think it's pretty cool that Luke was a doctor and he was saying, man, you got to check this guy out. <laughs> check out the way this guy could heal people's lives. I also love the fact that Luke's the kind of guy who's like, I'm not just going to take somebody's random word for it. Like, I'm going to look into the matter. Who was this person? What was wrong with them? Who could verify what was wrong with them? Here they are healed and whole. Like he did his homework and he saw the evidence of a God who heals. And so he took a lot of time to record healings. Um, Jesus um, regularly, one example is in Luke 6, 18, regularly people would come to him and people were physically healed. He also um, gave his disciples the gift of healing. He not only sent them out two by two in the gospel of Luke to go out and heal the sick, but he's, in Acts chapter 3.11, we're told that going forward, after Jesus returned to the Father, he gave his followers the ability to pray for people and see them be healed. And so he operated in this. He gave this ability to his disciples. Demonic oppression was in the category of healing. Jesus would heal people who were just ravaged by demonic oppression. Um, this will be in the category I mentioned last week. We're going to take a Sunday and talk about some of the, the maybe more intimidating or scarier gifts, the ones that are less familiar to us and talk about them more. This will be one we lean into a little bit more in the future. But I, I just have to say, like, Americans have a certain way of thinking and life experiences. We are, we're a little sophisticated sometimes in our culture to not think of things like demonic possession. Um, I, I believe this stuff does happen here and maybe we don't realize what it is. But, but also, I will definitely say, you go into some other cultures, and, and this can be way more of a reality. It's something they recognize and see. One of the, my, the first things I remember so clearly, um, I was on this mission trip. It was actually one of the things that just totally changed my life and put me on course to eventually be in ministry. But when I was 20, I went with a team of 10 or 12 guys um, to Uganda. We were right on the border of Sudan. And we were working in a refugee camp there for Sudanese refugees. And we went to a church service, and there was a woman who had, was possessed by a demon. And I was standing there with Pastor Steve and Scotty Prescott. And we prayed for this girl. And I mean, I won't describe the whole scene or whatever, but like there was a very evident moment when suddenly there was just peace. Her eyes were different. And we stopped and like Steve just looked at her and talked to her and like there was a level of engagement that hadn't been there before. And I, I saw this woman healed of demonic possession. That's been a rare thing in my life. But God does this still to this day. Um, and so healing is physical health stuff. It's demonic oppression. Um, and ultimately, I mentioned this already, um, but it's used to describe the work of Jesus on the cross on behalf of our sin. I want to read this verse in closing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Now, we quote this verse all the time to describe Jesus healing us by his stripes. And we pray it over people who are ill and sick, and I'm with that. That's all good. 
But when Peter's writing this, he's talking about spiritual healing that Jesus did on our behalf. And so in 1 Peter 2, 24, he says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Whether you've ever thought about it or not, you've experienced the gift of healing in your life. Because as a follower of Jesus, he has healed you of your sin and forgiven you. You've already seen that gift operate. All right? Let's close in prayer this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are the gift giver. We thank you that you are a God who lives like this. You are a generous, giving God. Lord, you lead us well. You see the big picture. You're our king. You also get down into all the details of our lives. And you care about all the little details and you work in them. God, you are a God of mercy. God, you are faithful. You are the faithful and true one. And God, you are our healer. These are all things that reflect who you are. God, I pray that that we would recognize in our lives times where these gifts have showed up to bless us. God, we've been healed. We've been filled with faith to trust you. We've been shown mercy. God, you've given towards us. Lord, I pray we would be open to how you want to operate in our lives to give us these gifts in order to bless people around us. God, may we be open to your spirit and your presence and the gifts you want to give in the moment as they're needed. God, grow us, mature us, stretch us. We're saying yes to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.